Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Well, good morning. Uh, Back in 1985, I was working as a supervisor for a high-tech firm in Columbus, Ohio, and while I was working there, I felt God was leading me to come to Morgantown to help start the church here. Part of the reason I was convinced that was the case was that three years earlier, in 1982, I had come with a group of college students from Ohio State. We'd gone out on the campus of West Virginia University, shared the gospel, and the response was remarkable. About 25 people put their trust in Christ. And I decided at that point, back in 82, that if there were ever an opportunity to come here and be part of a church plan, I knew God wanted me to be on the team that would do that. And that opportunity became available in 1985. As soon as I made the decision though, as soon as I was sure that's what God wanted me to do, something interesting happened at work. My boss offered me a significant promotion. At the time I was supervising just one small department and he wanted to add two large departments, two of the most significant departments in the company under my supervision. If I had these additional departments, I'd be supervising about half of all the employees with the company. And of course, with this promotion would come a significant raise. And so I told my boss, well, I, wanna, I wanna think about it and I'll let you know in a couple of days. And I went home and I was serious about at least praying about it, thinking about it, because I thought maybe this is God's way of changing my direction, but as I, I prayed about it, and as I talked with some other friends from the church, I realized, no, God wants me to move. But from a human perspective, this decision didn't make sense, which is often the case when God asks us to do things. It just did not make sense. Not only was I leaving behind this significant career opportunity and the money that would be involved, but I was coming to Morgantown without a job. You see, the church that was sending us was not going to provide for our ongoing support. We had to get jobs. But I didn't know anyone in town. I didn't have a job. And so from a human perspective, it just didn't make sense. I had about $500 to my name, and that was it. And we had to get a place, an apartment, and get the utilities turned on, and we just would have to get work very, very quickly. But this is sometimes what God asks of us, to take steps that maybe don't make sense. My takeaway today is that we need to trust and obey and God will make a way. That if we do whatever it is that God is asking us to do, if we could learn to just trust him and obey where he's leading us, he will somehow make a way, regardless of how foolish it might sound. The president of the company where I worked announced that I was gonna be leaving in December of that year at a Christmas party. And he announced, Tim Herring's gonna be leaving for West Virginia. He's gonna be going and moving there to start a church where they're going to be handling snakes. Just was mocking the whole thing about it. And I understood why. It looked like a ridiculous thing. What are you gonna do? Well, I don't have a job, really. We're just going. But in 1985, a co-leader and I moved out here. His name was Scott Rupley. We put all of our possessions in the back of a small pickup truck. Didn't even fill up the truck. 
made our way to West Virginia. God provided for us a, an apartment that cost $200 a month total, not each. It was just a crazy low rent, and we knew that God was providing for us. Of course, you kind of get what you pay for a little bit there. And by the grace of God, as we had trusted God and obeyed him, he made a way within a couple weeks. Both of us were employed. I, I got a job at a bank. He got a job at the local hospital, one of the hospitals here. And in a short order, we managed to get a student group started on campus. We started meeting in our home on Sunday mornings for an informal worship service. We started having Bible studies in our home as well. And then about five or six months later, a couple friends from Columbus, a couple girls who had been in our Bible study there in Columbus took the same step of faith we did to help lead this church plant. And they moved here as well. And, and God began to just bless from there. God is going to ask us at times, if we're Christians, to do things that just don't make sense. And the examples are just endless. For example, we have been talking the last several weeks about the fact that there's a shortage of foster parents in this state, especially about 7,000 kids need to be placed in homes. And you're wondering, maybe God wants you to do this. I realize that'd be a, just a huge thing. But do you believe that if God is leading you to do that and you do it, that God will provide a way that he'll take care of you? A moment ago, there was a, an appeal for people to serve in various areas, and, and, but you're afraid to do it. If God calls you to do it, though, he's the one that's gonna help you do that. Maybe God's asking you to, to quit your job and take something that pays a lot less for the sake of your family, maybe for the sake of your own emotional health, maybe just for the sake of having a job that has more eternal significance than just earning a paycheck. And I know a lot of people who have given up significant jobs in order to take a position working at a nonprofit, making half what they were making before, but as happy as they've ever been, God took care of their needs. And the examples could go on and on. God's gonna provide us with opportunities where we could trust him and, and, and go where he's leading us, obey his leading, but will he make a way for us? Now, today we're gonna look at the story of Abraham, and Abraham is called the father of faith of three of the major religions on the planet, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And, and he was a man who demonstrated a tremendous amount of faith, especially toward the end. But as we're gonna see today, Abraham also was on a faith journey, and that's the way it is many times. Uh, it's not like you just arrive with faith. Sometimes we have faith, but sometimes we fail in our faith, and then sometimes we grow in our faith. But the, the goal is that we get to trust God more and more and more as time goes on. Now, our story of Abraham covers 14 chapters in the book of Genesis, so it covers a lot of space, so I'm gonna jump around just a little bit here. When we meet Abraham in the story, he's 75 years old, and the events we're gonna read about begin about 400 years after the flood took place. And so when God first meets Abraham, or Abraham actually first meets God, God knew him ahead of time, the year was probably 2100 or so BC. It was 1900 years after God created Adam and Eve that we have this encounter that takes place in Genesis chapter 12. Now let's begin reading in Genesis chapter 12. I want to note, by the way, that he's called early in the story Abram, not Abraham. God is the one who eventually changed his name. I'm going to use the two names interchangeably. 
But in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse one, we read, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. He was raising Lot because Lot's father had died. And then the last part of verse four, Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now let me stop for a moment. Put yourself in Abraham's situation there if God approached you. Imagine if you were 75 years old and God wanted you to move across country. You know, that's kind of a big deal. He's not a spring chicken here. Imagine that God is saying, I want you to leave behind everybody. You know, you're used to being with your family and all your friends. I want you to leave them all behind. This is a brand new start. And how hard that would be. In addition, God was really asking him to set aside all his gods. We know from elsewhere in the New Testament that Abraham came from a polytheistic, idolatrous background, worshiping many gods, bowing before idols. God was calling him to just set all that aside and just worship the Lord God. And his response is quite remarkable. You know, the, the question is, if he trusts and obey, will, will God bless him? What's interesting to me is that God didn't provide a destination. All he said was, go, and when you get there, I'll let you know. See, this is what I think is hard for us sometimes when God asks us to do something. Because we want to know all the answers. I want to know the beginning from the end before I say yes. That's just the way I'm kind of wired. Give me all the pieces and then I can make a decision. God just said, no, I want you to go. I'll let you know when you get there. And he takes off. Genesis 12 and verse four, it says, so Abram went as the Lord told him. I just love the simplicity of the verse. God said, do it. Okay. He just took off. Now, we don't know how long it took him to get to Canaan, which was the land God was promising to give him. We don't know how long that took. But they finally arrived, and then God appeared to him a second time. In Genesis 12, 7, we read, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your offspring. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, what's interesting about what God said here is that Abram had no offspring. He was 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 65. They had no children. She was incapable of having children. And yet God was telling him at this point, I'm giving this land to you plus to your offspring. Now, it's at this point in the story that Abram's faith, faith was tested for the first time. He he faced an obstacle. He faced an opportunity to see whether or not he would trust and obey that God would make a way if he did. Something went wrong. Let's pick up the story in verse 10. We read, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. That's again, a very simple sentence. There was a famine in the land, so he left. If I were to ask you the question, what should he have done instead? I think most of you would come up with at least an answer, like pray about it, like ask God about it. Now this happens to us sometimes when God leads us in a certain direction. We believe that we, we are obeying God and we get where we're going, but then things are not 
they're just not working out the way we thought they would. Things start to go wrong. Things start to fall apart. And that's what's happening with him. And the question is, what do we do when God said go and then we go, but it looks like he's not gonna provide? Well, we tend to do what Abraham did. He took matters into his own hands. He just picked up and he made his way to Egypt. My study Bible makes this note. This meant abandoning the land God had promised his descendants. That's what it meant. Abandoning this land to go here. And oftentimes there are consequences when we don't do what God is leading us to do, when we don't seek him, when we do our own thing. In this case, many theologians believe, and I agree as well, that Hagar, Sarah's slave, was picked up during this season of Abraham's life. That they went down to Egypt, that's where they met Hagar, who became a slave, and I don't wanna get into the question of biblical slavery, but Sarah had a slave named Hagar. And this was a slave through whom Abraham eventually had a child, he married her, had a child named Ishmael. And Ishmael and Isaac, the child eventually born to Sarah and Abraham, those two children didn't get along and they're still not getting along today. The descendants of Ishmael and Isaac are still fighting today. And I think it's because of this decision. There's a famine in the land. I'll go down to Egypt. Now, other things happened in Egypt that weren't good. He gave his wife away, for example. Thankfully, God intervened and took care of her. Eventually, though, he came back. And what's interesting is he came back to the exact spot where he had been before he left. Picking up the story in chapter 13 and verse one. Then Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, which is a, a desert part of the southern part of Israel. He went up from Egypt to the Negev, he, his wife, and all he had in Lot with him. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold, which, of course, God had provided for him. Verse three, he went by stages from the Negev to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had formerly bent to the site where he had built the altar and Abram called on the name of Yahweh there. Now, I just want to make this observation, but sometimes... God brings us back to the exact spot where we were when we got off course. When, when we made the decision that we shouldn't have made, when we didn't have faith, he brings us back to that exact spot. Of course, an example of that is the people of Israel after they'd come out of Egypt and they came right at the Jordan River and God said, cross, and they said, no. They didn't trust and obey. They didn't believe God would find a way for them to take over the promised land. They were afraid. So they said no to God. And so for the next 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness and then God brought them back to the Jordan River again and said, now this time cross. And I believe that sometimes we will not make progress in our faith, in our journey until we kind of recross that place where we got off track. And that's, I think, what happened to Abraham here. But he shows up here and God appears to him again then. It's kind of a confirmation. This is where you're supposed to be. Chapter 15, verse one, after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you've given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. 
Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Of course, I talked about this briefly last week, that this is how we get right with God. We believe. It's faith. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever believes in him. I love the way that Abraham, though, talked with God on this occasion. It almost looks disrespectful. God appears to him at the beginning of this chapter and says, I'm going to bless you. And I'm with you. My Bible study summarizes what he said. The content of Abram's vision included a command, don't be afraid, an assurance, I am your shield, and a promise, your reward will be very great. Now, Abraham, by the way, we know is 85 years old when this happened. What does Abraham do? He kind of counters God. And I love the fact God can handle this. He said, God, yeah, but what are you going to give me? I don't have any descendants. I mean, you've told me that this land is going to be for my descendants following me. I don't have any, I don't have any kids. I'm not able to have kids. And so God said, well, you're going to. And he took him outside and showed him the stars. And, and Abraham believed. Your descendants will be that numerous. He believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. And again, as I said last week, you won't get to heaven if God doesn't credit you as being righteous. If he doesn't declare you as a righteous person, you won't get to heaven. And you only, be de you only get declared righteous through faith. And he believed God and God deposited to his account righteousness. He trusted God. He believed that somehow God would find a way. But then we find the second crisis of his faith. Some time passed. No kids. Sarah didn't get be become pregnant. He was faced with another decision here. What do I do about this? He didn't pray about it again. I don't see any evidence. He asked God, hey, listen, you said I was going to have some kids. I don't, I, I, you know, Sarah's not able to have children. She's 75 now. And then Sarah actually comes to him and says, hey, you know, the promise is made to you that you're going to have a son, a descendant. God hasn't said anything about me. So Sarah is the one who came up with the idea, I'll give you my slave, you marry her, have a child, and then we'll raise the child as our own. Now, I know that sounds in our culture incredibly weird. But in biblical culture, that would happen if your wife was barren. You could give your slave or your servant to your husband and then they'd have a child. I know, it, it's just weird. But he went along with it and they had a child named Ishmael. And, and this is how Abraham chose to work things out with what God had said instead of just trusting God. See, God all along planned on Sarah being the mother. But he took matters into his own hands. He, he, he didn't believe God would make a way, so he made a way. Now, the story continues on. About 14 more years passes. Now he's 99 years old. We pick up the story in chapter 17 in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke with him. 
As for me, my covenant is with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. The name Abram means exalted father, or the father is exalted. The name Abraham means father of a multitude. Now again, at this point, he only had the one son. And then God, what God said next was the most surprising thing of all. Skipping to verse 15. God said to Abraham, as for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, but Sarah will be her name. I will bless her indeed. I'll give her, you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down, then he laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? According to the website, babynamespedia.com, the name Sarai means contentious or quarrelsome, really not the best name. And there's some dispute whether that's what it means, but Sarah means princess, it was a great improvement. God was saying, she's now gonna be a princess. The prom, promise here, of course, was impossible except for God. This is why I think God began earlier by saying, I'm the Lord God Almighty. I, I can do anything. Any, nothing's too difficult for me. And this is the place where Abraham had to arrive in terms of trusting God. Do you believe that God is almighty, that he can do anything? Now, if you know the story, but a year later, Isaac was born. His name, Isaac's name means he laughs. Both of them, of course, laughed at this thing. It was so unthinkable. And God had provided a way. But it's what happened next that was the greatest test of his faith. And the last story I want to add to this. Many years had passed. In Genesis 22, verse 1, we read, after these things... God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Ishmael, by the way, had gone already and God had told Abraham to send him away. This was the only son. He was the son of promise and God said, I want you to sacrifice him. Now, this is problematic on many levels. You know, in, in Abraham's day, some of the religions practiced infant sacrifice. It was horrible, but that's, they believed they needed to do that to get better crops. Like you, you sacrifice to your God something that means a lot to you, and then your crops will flourish. That's what they believed. But Abraham had come to understand that the, the God that spoke to him was different. This was a God of love, a God of blessing, a, a God that did good, a God that wouldn't require such a thing. And I don't know how he wrestled with it. God, I, I, this sounds like what the other gods require. On top of it, there was the problem of the fact that Isaac was the son of promise. God had already said it's through this guy. It's not somebody else. It's not another child you're gonna have. This is the one. I'm gonna give all the promises to this one. He's the one that's gonna become the father of many nations through you. And what do you do if you take his life? Now, we know from the book of Hebrews that Abraham reasoned in his mind, well, if God's asking me to do it, I guess he can raise him from the dead. That's what Abraham thought, which demonstrates to me again that Abraham's faith is the same faith that we're saved by because Abraham believed in a God who raises the dead. 
And that's what we believe in too, a God who raised his son Jesus from the dead who died in our place and for our sin. And then of course, God was asking him to give up the most significant thing in his life. And so through this command, the greatest of the commands, would he trust and obey, knowing that God would somehow find a way if he did what God asked him to do here? Giving all these issues, Abraham's response was absolutely amazing. I think our faith is tested at times like this. Reminds me of a story I read some time ago about a guy that didn't believe in God and he fell off a a cliff, it was a long ways down and he cried out to God and, and all of a sudden this branch appeared and he grabbed it and God said to him, I thought you didn't believe in me. And the guy said, well, I, I don't know. And then God said to him, well, do you believe in me or don't you? And the guy said, I, I, I do believe you, I do believe in you. And then God said, let go of the branch. And the man responded, is there anyone else up there? <laughs> you know, God asks us to do things sometimes that are a little bit tough. His response was remarkable. Genesis 22, 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. What I noticed is that there's no delay here at all. He got up early, got together everything he needed. He began a th three-day journey. The distance was 45 to 50 miles. God was leading him to a particular mountain, and I would suggest a particular spot on the mountain. I want you to sacrifice your son in a particular place. And there was a reason for that. When they got to the base of the mountain, though, Isaac noticed something was missing. Verses seven and eight of Genesis 22, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, well, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. Those words are prophetic. Abraham prophesied concerning the fact that God was gonna provide a sacrifice for him in a few minutes, but it's prophetic for us as well. God will provide the lamb. Speaking of his own son. Now, many of you know the rest of the story. They arrived at the base again of the mountain and Isaac uh, was standing there. Abraham took the wood and he put it on Isaac's back. And Isaac carried upon his own back the instrument of his own death as they went up to this place. Then, then Abraham built an altar, he put the wood on there, then he took his own son and he bound him and then he put his son on the altar and got ready to take his son's life. And just at the right time, God called from heaven, stop. Now I know you love me, you haven't withheld your own son from me, I know that you trust me. And then Abraham saw a ram in the thicket. God had provided the sacrifice for him. Now, Abraham ended up sacrificing that animal. At the time that God asked him to do this, he had no idea why. And we don't always know why God asked us to do something. He didn't know why. We know today what this story is about. It ties in with this whole series timeline. I'm suggesting here today, all these Bible stories are tied together by God's big story, a story of redeeming people, sinful people to himself, restoring our relationship with our creator. And that's what this story is about. 
This was a sermon illustration. We learn in 2 Chronicles 3, 1 that Mount Moriah, where they went, is where the temple of Jerusalem would eventually be built. Mount Moriah, part of that mountain, is called Mount Calvary. It's where Jesus died. And just as Isaac carried upon his back the means of his own death, so Jesus carried the cross upon his own back as he went to, I believe, the exact spot where this took place. This was meant to be a picture. And even the wording of God to Abraham on this occasion sounds like John 3.16. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. John 3.16, God so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, that's what this was a picture about. And, and although God didn't require Abraham to actually take the life as, of his son, God was gonna take the life of his, through Jesus. And by the way, Isaac allowed this to happen. Jewish theologians believe that Isaac at the time of this story was 25. I think we envision a teenager, you know, 13-year-old boy or something. He was likely about 25 years old. He could have fought his father. He could have said, what are you doing? Abraham was just saying, I'm doing what God asked me to do. But he went along with it. And that's, of course, what Jesus did too. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. And that's what Jesus did for us. But it was meant to be a sacrifice in our place. And just as God did provide a ram to save Isaac, in Abraham, the sacrifice was replaced. The same thing is true of us. And Genesis twenty-two fourteen was fulfilled through Christ. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it's said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What will be provided? The sacrifice that's required for our salvation. Two applications here, depending on maybe where you are spiritually. For some of you, what I want to call you to is to understand that we, are, we need to put our trust in Jesus Christ if we're to receive forgiveness of sin. It's why Jesus came into this world, the sinless son of God. He committed no sin himself so that he could become a sacrifice for us, so that he could die in our place and for our sin, like the lamb that was sacrificed for the one offering it. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it proved that the sacrifice had been accepted by God. And we're told that if we will put our trust, that's the promise God gives us, if we put our trust firmly in the risen Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior, we receive the gift of eternal life. But it requires coming to a point where we realize, I know I sin, I can't fix it, I need a Savior, I need a Deliverer. And today I want to put my trust in you, Jesus. I want to believe you as Abraham believed you. And if you've never done that, I encourage you to do so today. For others of you, I wanna just challenge you again with this question, is there something God's been asking you to do but you've been kinda of saying no? And I wanna encourage you to consider taking that step of faith to say, I don't know where the outcome of this is but if you're gonna ask me to do it, I will obey and I'll trust that you'll somehow find a way for this to happen because again, we may not see what God's gonna do or how he's gonna take care of it if we do what he asks us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Abraham. He truly is a tremendous example for us. And we thank you, Lord, for this story that illustrates the fact that, that you sent your own son for us. As abhorrent as that idea is to sacrifice a child, a son, you were willing to do that for us so that we could enter into an eternal relationship with you. 
And we're so grateful for that. But give us, O Lord, a heart that just wants to do what you ask us to do, to trust you with the results. To say, if you're asking us to do this, you will find a way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.